The following podcast series was recorded between January and December of 2015. Originally hosted on the Horophilia Podcast Network, it has now transitioned to the Podcast Under the Stairs Collective. Myself and Andy Blockley would like to extend our gratitude once again to Jason Lloyd at the Horophilia Podcast Network for giving this podcast an opportunity to stay on that network for a couple of years and accumulate hundreds of downloads and great communication with legions of fans. The next instalment of the Doing the Nasty podcast looking at the DPP third tier movie list will start January 2020. Duncan McLeish will be joined by Mark Ball who will be replacing Andy Blockley on this podcast and will release one episode each month covering two films from the Tier 3 DPP video nasty list. But until that season drops, please enjoy these archives. They were called nasties and they were nasty. Some of the things that we've seen are so horrific. These films not only affect young people, but I believe they affect adults as well. An extravaganza of gory violence, capable of depraving and corrupting those who watched it. I have never seen the video, Mister. I wouldn't. I actually don't need to see what I know is in that film. And welcome back to another episode of Doing the Nasty. This is episode number 21. I am one of your hosts, Duncan McLeish, from the podcast Under the Stairs. As always, I'm joined by the co-host with the most, Mr Andy Blockley from the Big Horror and Little Podcast. Andy, how are you doing, sir? Yeah, I'm good, thanks, mate. I'm all right now. I've had man flu. Oh, God. basically means I've had a cold. (laughs) This week. Don't downplay it. Science has proved that man flu exists. It is the worst. Honestly, it's it's awful. But uh, yeah, I'm all better now, so I'm all set to go. Yeah. What have you been up to? Anything interesting? Hey, a lot of movie watching, and um, this is like busy season just now for bands. Like one of the sites that I contribute to um, deals with uh, music, kind of punk rock, metal stuff. Yeah, and um, all the American bands every year, it's about October, November, December, all decide that this is the best time to come to Europe. So okay. they'll book European tours. So I've been incredibly busy and will be for the next four or five weeks. I think I've still got like about 12 gigs to go to in the next five weeks. Yeah. Um, so it's full on with that and try to keep on top of watching movies for Halloween and watching movies for podcasts. Um, yeah, it's pretty busy. It's, pr- it's pretty busy. But um, I'm not going to complain too much. I, I, you can't complain that you're getting to interview some of your musical heroes and get to see movies that you've really wanted to see all year. So, I mean, oh, that's... God, yeah. It's not a hardship, you, um, you know what I mean? You were just telling me earlier as well you're going to go and watch Crimson Peak in a bit. Right after the recording of this, I am heading out to see Crimson Peak. It's been on my... Since Del Toro announced that he was coming back to do a horror movie, I think that was like about a year and a half ago, maybe two yeah, years yeah. ago. Um, and then the details trickled out that it was Crimson Peak and it had Tom Hiddleston, who's an actor that I think is... Uh, uh, moving away from the Marvel stuff as an incredible actor um, he's not, great, yeah. not to downplay his Marvel stuff I know he's he's good at what he does in that but he's not playing a cartoon character he's actually playing like a like a proper character um, and at the same time 
people like Mia Wasikowska, who I think is also a phenomenal actress, getting a chance to see them in a movie together directed by Del Toro, and it's a ghost movie. I mean, it's just like Christmas has come early. Yeah, man, it's going to be good. Yeah, I can't wait. Cannot so, wait. Well, we'll we also watched something last night that we kind of both sat down at the same time to watch. Yeah. That was fun. Fuck me. <laughs> yeah, um, right, so we, we knew we'd eventually have to talk about this, and to be honest with you, I would argue now that, Andy, me and you are in a better position to talk about this movie now than we would have been if this movie had come out last year. Yeah, I'd say so, yeah. And the reason behind it is the amount of cannibal movies, FYI, one of them is going to be on this show tonight, the yeah. amount of cannibal movies... We have had to watch Italian cannibal movies, by the way, that we have had to watch while doing the video nasties list has been fairly exhausting. Yeah. Right? And we knew it was coming. Eli Roth did The Green Inferno. It's his homage to those those great movies. Well, I use great in quotation marks. Great movies from the, the 70s and early 80s. The cannibal subgenre of horror. And this was his loving hug towards that genre. I mean, it's no surprise that things like, even calling the movie The Green Inferno, it's a direct reference to Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah. Cannibal Holocaust himself is a movie he loves. He's apparently very friendly with Ruggiero Diodato, so um, he even dedicates the movie to Diodato. Um, okay. At the very end of the credits, he says, you know, eh, poor Diodato, so that's for Diodato. Um, so, yeah, so... I, but neither one of us had high expectations for this, Andy. Not at all. I mean, going in, I knew it was going to be a very typical setup. I'd, I'd watched the trailer. Um, Eli Roth doesn't seem to be very good at writing dialogue. He doesn't seem to be very good at writing likable characters. Mm -hmm. But I was expecting that, so that was fine. Um, I thought the setup was was fairly decent. Just a bunch of dickheads going to think they can save the world. Um, and then the, the the main kind of plot point that I really appreciated was these guys go out and they disguise themselves as these um, like uh, workers who are kind of bulldozing in the rainforest. Mm -hmm. And they disguise themselves as these workers so they can kind of infiltrate the camp without being spotted and then basically chain themselves to the bulldozers like in a protest. And then when they kind of end up escaping and getting on a plane which then crashes, which is in the trailer, when the cannibals uh, capture them, the cannibals think that they're part of the working team that are yep. bulldozing the forest which is obviously why they're incredibly hostile towards them. So I appreciated that. And I kind of thought, that's great, because there's the language barrier there, and there's no way you can possibly explain, hang on, we're, we're activists, we're not really the workers, you know, we, we're on your side. Sort yeah. of. Um, so the setup was kind of good, and not a lot happens for the first sort of 45 minutes, but then we get to this incredible scene, and we should probably tell the viewers that you were about 15 minutes ahead of me watching it. Yeah, I thought we were watching it at the same time and I was getting confused by how you were so optimistic and I was starting, <laughs> the pessimism was slowly starting to saturate through my messages back to you. And I was yeah. like, is Andy not watching the same things? And then you would send a message back saying, all right, I've just seen this bit. And I'd be like, ah. <laughs> I'm but I think we, should, we can talk about scenes. I mean, we'll warn everyone because probably it has literally leaked online. So it's probably only been out probably not even a week by the time this yeah, we'll try. We'll, we won't. I'd say we don't spoil the end, but we'll focus on. If you have not seen Cannibal Holocaust, then I would skip the entire intro of this. So join us back in about five minutes. Um, I, I need to fucking rag on this, and I can't rag on it without being very specific about certain scenes. Um, right. So leave us for five minutes if you've not seen the movie. Return, and I will make sure Andy will be finished by then. <laughs> okay. So we get a scene. They're, they're they're all basically captured. Um, 
and they get the the fat guy pretty much because he's obviously the, the the meatiest, and they kind of lay him on a table, and I don't think he really knows what's going on. Um, oh, he's given. I think he's the, the what he drinks is like a drug, which yeah, they give him sort of uh, yeah, some kind of almost like an anaesthetic kind of sedate. You know, they sedate him basically, mm. um, and then the chief kind of tribeswoman just rips his eyes out eats him, rips his tongue out and eats him and then while he's still alive they all just chop him into bits and it's KMB who are obviously pretty good at effects now I was a bit annoyed because there's a scene earlier on where a guy gets hit by a plane propeller in the head and it was horrendous CGI blood and I thought yeah. I'm not this is supposed to be like good effects but then when they kind of tear the guy apart it's practical and it does look pretty good and I said to I text Duncan saying, holy fuck, like, this is great. Because so I, I literally thought, right, here we go. I knew I was going to be in for a slow start-up because these kids are in America and for, for it to kick off, they've got to be in Peru. So I knew it would take a while to get there, but then I thought, here we go. This is it now. There's about 40 minutes left. This is going to be fucking ace. The next kind of thing that starts happening, after this guy has just watched his mate basically eviscerated in front of him and eaten, he decides to start masturbating. Yeah. Furiously masturbating in the corner. Yeah. And it's like, what the fuck is this? And then he just comes out with some stupid thing, oh no, it, like, it relieves stress. No, no, mate, you're not, what he, it, it was weird, it was tonally very fucking yeah. strange. Yeah. Because something horrendous had just happened, and it was almost like it was a comedy thing. And then before that, you've got a woman shitting, basically shitting herself as well. Yeah. And it's weird because these people go from looking like they're genuinely terrified to looking like they couldn't give a fuck mm -hmm. within like a space of minutes. It's really weird, like considering what they've just witnessed. Do you know what I mean? Because they don't necessarily know straight away that something horrendous is going to be happening to them. But then when they see their mate basically fucking torn to pieces, they don't seem that bothered, and he decides to have a wank. So that's fucking weird. And then, like, the, the bit that completely fucking blew my mind, because I thought, Eli Roth is obviously written this in, and I don't know how anyone kind of let it go. Well, they, like, one of them's bought some Peruvian weed. Oh, yeah. Fairly big bag of it. And then what he decides to do is, one girl, like, the girl that shits herself decides, right, fuck this, I'm not, you know, not going to let anything happen to me. She, like, breaks a coconut or something. In Aye, her, her, lesbian, her lesbian lover tries to escape the camp and they assume that she has escaped yeah. but when they're eaten from the bowls they realise that there are bits of her tattooed flesh yes, in the bowl so she knows her lover is now dead she decides it's not worth living anymore she breaks the bowl slashes her throat okay so then she's obviously going to be next to be eaten um, so what some bright spark decides to do is to take his bag of weed out leave it in the plastic bag <laughs> force it down her throat into her stomach in an attempt to get all the tribe high. Oh, they, even, like, they even refer to it as a Scooby-Doo idea in so, the movie. There's so much wrong with this. Like, number one, your digestive system stops working when you die. Yep. Is it like you've got no bloodstream pumping around. Like, nothing... Do you know what I mean? Like, that's, the, that's point A. Point B, they're not going to be eating the contents of her stomach anyway. So even if, like... I mean, I think the idea was that it goes through her digestive system and it's in her bloodstream, but you're eating the meat, yeah. so that doesn't really work either. Like, another thing, don't put it in the plastic bag because it's not going to be absorbing the body, is it, if it's stuck in a fucking plastic bag? Yeah. It's ridiculous. And you've got to bear in mind, these tribes people, they probably have ayahuasca for mm -hmm. breakfast. 
Now, to anyone who knows what ayahuasca is, it's a drink that tribes people drink, and it's almost like a really fucking potent version of magic mushrooms. It's a similar kind of thing. Now, apparently, after they eat this girl, bearing in mind that the weed is in her stomach in a plastic bag, they're all completely off their tits. Mm -hmm. And there's about 100 tribes people with a tiny bag of weed. So if you think the dose between them would be the equivalent of probably one drag off of a fucking spliff, and they're absolutely rolling around like they don't know what fucking day it is. It's just mental, like, it's insane. And then, and then, and <laughs> this is the fucking worst bit. Apparently, they're all stoned. They decide uh. to start eating one fella, literally eating him alive, probably the most horrendous thing that could ever happen to you, being eaten alive. He goes, oh, they've got the munchies. Mm. I just... <laughs> And I nearly turned it off at that point, but I was I, the only reason I didn't turn it off is because I wanted to watch the female circumcision scene that never fucking happens. Yeah, it's, I, oh, the, my, my I think my issue with it is that, um, I mean, a, a bit older nineteen seventies cannibal movies are totally weird we've discussed that before we're looking yeah. at them and we're like this seems a bit weird why are we getting this scene and then why is this almost comedic now and all the rest i totally understand that but you can chalk that up to those are the movies that came out in the 70s that's how cinema was in the 70s yeah. when you do something as an homage to a genre that has passed you don't just copy the exact beats of it. Because if you copy the exact beats, you basically alienate it. It doesn't work now. These things don't work now. This is why um, 80s slashers, the idea of an 80s slasher, has never really worked that well yeah. since the 80s because tonally it doesn't work. There's a, People have grown up in a different generation where entertained and amused by different things. So you're aiming at a really niche market. And all these weird... The shitting scene, the the wanking scene, the munchie scene are all done right after pretty horrific things in the movie. So I can understand trying to inject a bit of levity into it. But yeah. to me, I, if I was him, I would have just went one step further and just made that a comedy. You've got to make it a comedy. That scene would not have looked out of place in one of the scary movie films. It really wouldn't. And I think that's when I was like... And I, I, I didn't hate the movie. I didn't hate the movie. I thought the effects were actually pretty cool. Um, yeah. I thought the story was all right. I didn't think the story was amazing. I thought the pacing, even the 40 minutes where they were building up, flew in. I mean, it's an yeah, hour and 40 minutes. Way, didn't it? It had to happen that way. Yeah, but <laughs> if, when we, you know, Because when the film starts, it's a load of kids in America. Yeah. So but it can't be teleported to Peru. There's got to be a reason they get there. Exactly. I, but like, that all flew in really quick. It didn't feel like it was, it was dragging its feet. We're going to be talking about a cannibal movie later on, which I think has, Huge pacing problems, and it's, oh, it's oh, yeah. yeah, it's it's only an hour and a half. Um, this this movie's an hour and forty, and I, I thought I had no pacing issues at all. Um, the script is awful. The the individual set pieces, um, I thought were cool in some respects, but in other respects, I, it just blows my mind that when he was making this movie, he thought, right, I'm going to put this. The sequence of the guy getting cut apart is. Is truly one of those more horrific side of things in horror it's, I've seen this the, year. That's the most horror, horrific thing I've seen all year in horror. That's yeah. literally the best horror scene. Because for me, the whole concept of you're basically capt you're captured mm -hmm. and you're seeing almost like a little premonition of what's going to happen to you, aren't you? You're watching, you, like your mate's just been torn to pieces, had his eyes yeah. pulled out while he's still alive. And that's basically going to happen to you in about a couple of days. And that's horrendous, mm -hmm. right? So you've got that. 
and then someone wanking a minute later and like and if someone's about to eat you alive as if you're going to go oh my god he's got the munchies yeah it's just I, yeah I, just I, it didn't it didn't work for me it didn't work for me like I say I, I think we both came in about the, the same rating about you know, I, I said it was about a two and a half out of five for me. You said it was about a five out of ten for you. Yeah, so that's not like the same rating. It's not an awful film. I just, I and I wasn't. And the thing is, the thing that's annoying me is that as soon as they kind of crashed and the tribe kidnapped him, a part of me, a part of me, the part of me which was the bit that had been repressed by this movie is not going to be all that great because Eli Roth and all the rest kind of came out and was like this might actually be pretty cool. And then you get that scene with the guy getting caught and I was like, he's done it. He's fucking done it. Yeah. I don't know how he did it, but he's done it. And, I, you know, I could feel myself smiling and then within two minutes, I was just like, no, nah, no, nah, this is... They, they copped out, basically. Like they, they, show, they talk about female genital mutilation. Loads in the movie and then you get a scene where it looks like it's going to happen. And I, I just want to stress, I don't want to see a woman's genitals be, you know, mutilated. But at the same time, I and, did. The, and the class, <laughs> Andy. Uh, there's sites for that. Um, and the classic tropes of horror: if you show a weapon, that weapon must be used. It must be used. Yeah. If you show, yeah. if you show a fucking wood chipper, someone needs to go to the wood chipper. You know what I mean? That's that is just those are that that is textbook horror. You need to use it. If you spend the first ten minutes of a movie talking about female gen- genital mutilation, and then you build up a sequence which is built up twice in the movie that is going to happen then you expect it to happen and for them to then 180 on that and then move it that just felt I just thought you absolute pussy you, I, you, go you, for it this is your this is your platform you've, just, you've copped out mate yeah, what would what would have De- what what would Diodato have done Diodato it, cut off a man's knob on screen and impaled had a woman raped with stones you know what I mean? That's that's this is this is whose movie you're doing an homage to. This is the man that you're dedicating this movie to. Don't cop, don't put silly humour in it, and don't cop out. In it. Make it. A, you did Hostel. Hostel didn't have any of that. I, I, it was like watching. It was like so frustrating. See if he just attacked it with the same ferocity as Hostel, or just made it a comedy. Mm. I wouldn't have any complaints. But because he tries to do a weird mismatch, the both of them, it, to me, it just. I didn't know how I was supposed to feel about the movie, and when it finished, I was just. I as was far like, as I'm concerned, now Eli Roth can go fuck himself. I'm not watching any more of his films. I've watched Knock Knock this <laughs> year as well, and Knock Knock was was a boring movie. Yeah, well, for me, like Rach said, she wanted to watch it. She likes Keanu Reeves, but I said if we just watch the trailer, everything that happens in that movie is in the trailer. You don't need to see it. Like, I'm sure we'll end up watching it, but well, Keanu Reeves is awful in it. Is he? Yeah, he just looks like he. Once again, like some of those actors, he just looks like he does not want to be. The guy can't emote, and no. he's in the wrong role. Mm. But give me another John Wick movie. Yeah, you know what I mean, he's great yeah. in that because he doesn't have to. Doesn't have to actually emote. Just doesn't have to cool actually act. Mean and moody in that. Yeah, which is great. At. He's amazed at that. Ah, uh, yeah. So, aye. Now, now we've got that our system. Yeah, it's probably. <laughs> 20 minutes into the show. It's probably best mentioning it. We have three movies to discuss on the show this week. We are going to be talking about Possession from 1981. Yeah. We're going to be talking about Prisoner of the Cannibal God uh, from 1978. And uh, Pranks, which is a.k.a. the Dorm That Drip Blood, from yeah. 1982. 
Oh, I think I think we just need to get into these, Andy. I think we just need to to, to put Green Inferno to bed and talk about some nasties. Are you ready, sir? Let's do it. Right. So Johnny Krug's promo will play. Men will tell us, and women will tell us why Possession is a weird movie. And when me and Andy come back, we will tell you why we think it's a weird movie as well. Uh, we're going to discuss that movie right after this. Do you like movie reviews that are insightful, thought-provoking, and delivered by somebody who's trained to critically dissect every aspect of a motion picture without ever having to use obscenities? Then you've got the wrong show. Kruger Nation Horror Podcast is ready to feed your slasher movie and exploitation needs. There'll be more blood, expletives, and titties than you can shake your grandma's beetle flaps at. Visit www.krugernation.com Possession by Andrzej Zhuavsky. Uh It's a very perplexing cover. Um, it was produced like this, uh, apparently back to front, no one seems to quite know why. I mean, some people speculate that it was a printing error and, you know, they just had to go with it. I always imagine that perhaps because the film is very strange and arty and weird and unusual, that somebody in the design department thought that would be a strange, arty, weird and unusual way of presenting the cover. Possibility. So, yeah, it's a perplexing one, but uh, it's a perplexing film. This is one of the films on the band list that didn't spend very long on the list. It was kind of on and off, I believe. Goodness knows why it was on in the first place, but eventually somebody saw reason. I think uh, a case was dropped against it, and it was given a re-release by uh, VTC sometime afterwards with a different design using a different artwork, which was rather more conventional than this, but, uh, but uh, more attractive as well. One of the difficulties with this artwork, of course, is that it's, uh, it's all based around an image which the film builds for about 90 minutes to show you. The cover kind of blows that central image. But... Having said that, I saw Possession as a result of seeing it on a shelf and thinking, good grief, what's that? So it worked. Oh, Mark, your wife keeps her own secrets. Make her talk to me. It'll be the way that she wants. Tell me. Well, I think what you want to do to Bob is just... Inhuman. So what you're doing must be human. And welcome back. So, film number one of this episode is Possession, which is a French-slash-West German film from 1981, um, featuring Sam Neill, probably the most recognisable face in that, uh, Isabella Gianni. And they're kind of the main cast. Heinz Bennett as well is probably the other, sort of the third guy in this. And um, directed by Andres Zalowski, I'll uh-huh. say. Um, this is a weird one. <laughs> you switched this movie off to go and watch Green Inferno. I know, I did. Yeah. At, at the end of watching Green Inferno, did you just wish that you just stuck with Possession? I did. I was so livid. <laughs> but the reason, like, the reason I turned it off, this like it starts off quite promisingly, really, um, quite strongly. It's, it's it's a really good portrayal of a disintegration of a relationship. Quite well portrayed, I think. Um, you know, a guy he doesn't want to split up. His missus does. She kind of increasingly 
exposes the reasons that she wants to get rid of him. Like he is completely accepting this, but kind of in denial. You know, he keeps going out and going out. He really wants to make this relationship work, um, <clears throat> and then it just kind of gets weird. Really weird. Uh, we get introduced to to the guy that she's having the affair with, and this is weird tonally as well. Yeah, um, I can't. Think... I'll, 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 I'll come back to. I'll come back to. Yeah, I don't know if it's supposed to be tonally weird. <laughs> it's just a scene that really cracked me up. Where they got well, they have a fight. I mean, this is kind of moving quite a bit into the film now, but like they have a fight, and he starts doing some karate and stuff. And it just made me fucking piss myself. I watched um, an episode of South Park, series, I think from about the 18th season the other day. Uh-huh. And it just really ran, because there's a bit in there in Team America when one of the goodies like, as a, goes to have a fight. Like They throw down their weapons in like typical kind of 80s style and he goes, Kia! <laughs> winds himself up for a fight. And in South Park the other day, like just completely out of the blue, Randy, you know, Stan's dad, just like does this really weird like arm pattern thing goes it's like punches someone and the guy in this does this like weird karate kick and the next minute his leg is almost up behind him touching the back of his head and it just made me fucking piss because I thought what I don't know what that is that's almost like comedy for me Mm -hmm. then it kind of goes back to absolutely like fucking like manicness and I don't know, I can't work out if the acting's good. I think she can act quite well. And she, she look, there's a, there's a dual role for her. She's playing two parts in the film. Mm-hmm. So the contrast between the really nice, cheerful, happy version, which is like the different character, and then Sam Neill's wife, who's basically like insane, you know, is the best way you can really put it. She's insane. And he's insane with grief from, from, you know, from the fallout of this relationship. But it gets to the point where there's so much kind of wild shit happening. It, the best thing I could kind of compare it to is somebody just literally standing two inches from my face just going, ah! But and that's that's, like, that's how you're supposed to feel. Yeah. that's the, the On some level, Andy, that's the right... The, the guy has done his job. Um, I'll just quickly touch on a couple of points. Um, the, the director, when he did this, was going through a horrible horrible messy breakup himself he'd basically been ostracized and removed from the country where he called home he had been forced to move to france um he his projects he's working on weren't going anywhere um and this movie is born of that this this movie is born of desperation it's born of frustration it's born of pain and agony and and is birthed from a relationship which was destroyed, a very intense relationship which was destroyed, and it permeates right through this fucking movie. I mean, mm. it's like everything about this movie screams to me. If you've ever, if you've ever been in a relationship with someone that you, you, you know, as far as you were concerned, this person was a person for you, and you know, you you were so madly in love, and then that person rejects you, you. I don't think Hollywood has ever been able to portray how messy a breakup actually can be. Yeah, like that way where you nice. you just, there is this pit inside your stomach which nothing, nothing will, you know, 
will fill at all. No words can make you feel better. You know, nothing at all except that glimmer, that hope, that like kind of tiny slither that maybe there's a chance that you might be able to get back. And you got to think to yourself, why would you want to go back there? That person has already rejected you. But your logic is cast against the wall. You you know, and this movie. I think embodies that like on a level which few movies do. I think Sam, you're right. It eventually gets to a point where the characters are so manic that it's just whenever they see each other, they are screaming in each other's faces, and it is. It's not like oh, we're just gonna have a, a quick second and then maybe pan away to outside the building and hear them scream. No, the camera stays on them yeah. for prolonged periods. You've got five minute arguments where they are just screaming at each other's faces, yeah. and. As to me, I, I see exactly where you're coming from. To me, that is just it's incredibly powerful because it touches that raw nerve. That Sam Neill is, as much as he tries to pull himself back together as a character several times in this movie, and he starts, he's you know, he genuinely makes a you know, he's he, he's interested in the school teacher who's played by the same actress, and um, he's you know, he gets his life on track and things are moving well. And then he gets one glimpse of her when he comes back, and everything is torn down. He's back to square one, and yeah. I think that's realistic. I, I think that is that is real. That is what relationships are like. That way, where you think you've got yourself back to you know you go out for a night out in the town, Andy, and then you see your ex happy, yeah. and yeah. it is like someone has it's like someone has booted you square in the nutsack with a pair of fucking razor edge steel toe boots yeah. and it's horrible and I think this movie covers that really well the thing that 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 kind of brings us because people will be like that well, I don't understand how two people arguing could be constituted a nasty and there are other things that happens in this movie she is building a lover so to speak she isn't really building a lover she has been we can assume hypnotised yeah. by a creature who is basically like an octopus you know it's like a tangly, tentacly sort of creature who is consuming people very much like uh, Frank yeah, does in Hellraiser. Sort of thing, isn't it, as well, yeah, yeah. And um, basically, this she's, she's in love with this creature. And this creature pleases her incredibly sexually, uh, which is what she's ultimately looking for. She says that she doesn't want to be with Sam Neill's character anymore because there is no love there. There is no there is no passion in the sex or anything. Which is why she at first seeks out the weird Euro trash guy. Heinrich. Yeah, Heinrich, who is easily one of the funniest fucking characters I have ever seen in a movie. I keep forgetting, I sat back down to watch this movie. I've not seen it in a couple of years and I was just like, this dude is fucking amazing. And um, it is no surprise to me that when you watch like the Coen brothers, uh, when you watch something like the Big Lebowski and you <laughs> see the nihilists, they are Heinrich. When you watch... Um, Tim Robbins' character in High Fidelity. Don't know okay. if you remember uh, High Fidelity when his missus leaves him, she goes away to stay with whoever the guy is, and um, basically he becomes uh, <coughs> Cusack becomes obsessed with this guy and says, "I bet he's the sort of guy that plays, you know, like world music, whatever CDs, you know, whatever music's in that week and all the rest." And you meet Tim Robbins' character for the first time, and he is Heinrich. He is Heyrick. He is exactly the same character. Is this is this almost cartoonish idea of wealthy sort of European elitism almost to an extent, you know, the the people that collect art because art 
means that you're important. The people that have travelled all over the world and, you know, gone to live with the tribes for a couple of weeks, you know, these sort of things. He is that character. And as such, he is fucking strange. <laughs> his karate is awful. His, his When he shows up drunk at Sam Neill's house and he's just spinning around up and down the stairs just talking gibberish and what I love about that scene is that the shoes on the other foot when Sam Neill appears at his address he is like besought and he wants to find her and this guy is so smug and she doesn't love you anymore and she's not here just now he doesn't believe him at all but when Heinrich appears Sam Neill becomes infinitely smug because he's like now you're going through what I went through just a couple of weeks ago the shoe yeah. is now on your foot. Yeah. You handle it, and he treats him. He almost verbatim repeats the same lines that Heinrich uses. Yeah, um, I think that's wonderful as well. He's a weird. He is a weird character, but in a movie that has a giant tentacle creature that eventually assumes the identity of Sam Neil. This is her perfect creation. Is her perfect creation at the end of it is an ideal clone, exact clone of her husband. But one that can please her. Yeah, it's all metaphor, though. It, it is. It is. That's exactly it. This is an art house movie. This is yeah. so art house. It is unbelievable, and that's it. Is all metaphor. But I get what you mean. It's like people that tell me... I've got a friend who once watched um, Inland Empire, the David Lynch movie. Yeah. Um, and he sat in the house one Saturday, <laughs> like Saturday lunchtime, and shoved on Inland Empire, and said he. He didn't like the movie. Didn't like the movie. However, for the next two days, he felt like the most depressed he'd ever felt in his entire life. Okay. And he didn't know why. He yeah. didn't know why. Yeah. And it's the movie. Okay. It's the, the, the movie. It has this... Uh, like like with all great kind of art house pieces, like if you watch something like... Um, I've said it before. If you watch something like Requiem for a Dream or Antichrist, there is this foreboding tone that's kind of in the background almost subconsciously that makes you feel the way you do after those movies that's why they stick with you in possession yeah. that feeling that you had of people screaming in your face on on its most on its most basic level is what the director is trying to put forward to you he's trying to put forward and the fact that you are like it just it gets to the point where it's all noise in my face there's a lot of people that watch this movie and just walk away with saying oh it's a movie about a tentacle monster yeah. And it's totally not. That emotion, that raw emotion that is in your face is totally the way you're supposed to feel about this movie. I think I, I, I genuinely think it's a, a, a phenomenal piece of work for the age of it as well, 1981. But I can totally see where you're coming from. You are in the majority, my friend. The majority of people I know that have seen Possession do not like this fucking movie. It's quite highly regarded, though, you know. It's about 80% of Rotten Tomatoes. It's yeah. about 7.6 or something on IMDb. Yeah. It's not like you know. It's, it's, I think, it's a I, I think critically, it's quite highly regarded. I don't yeah. necessarily know when we're talking about the general populace. If it's funny because I posted I was watching it. I'm saying that that I don't know many people um, that like this movie, and I posted I was watching it on Facebook, and then a lot of our podcast friends started saying okay. love that movie, and I was like, really? We have never. I've been speaking to you for two years, and I did not know that you like Possession. Yeah, just really, really, really strange. But as a as a really weird movie. And the ending's deliberately ambiguous, and it's it's not the sort of movie you can just sit down and watch and enjoy. No, 
it's, it's, it's not that sort of movie. And you are right, at times Sam Neill's acting goes beyond that intensity and almost becomes... A, a almost over the top and theatrical. I mean, there are times yeah. when I completely believe his pain and stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, Heinrich is always just a bit mental. Um, but yeah, <laughs> Sam Neill, I'd kind of expect to be, I mean, probably one of his quite early roles, to be fair, but... Yeah, there are scenes where I totally kind of believe him and then he just kind of tips a bit over the edge. But then sometimes people that are kind of heavily grieving do kind of get a bit self-indulgent and go a bit over the top just mm-hmm. because they kind of lose concept of, you know, how they should behave because you're not, you, you've taken any kind of, I don't know, you're not you're not censoring yourself anymore because you're so grief-stricken you just don't give a fuck how you're even coming across to anyone, do you? Yeah. So in a way, that's quite realistic. Um, but sometimes it was so almost theatrical and over, like he was just chewing the fuck out of the scenery, and stuff, <laughs> which kind of takes it, just took me out of it. Um, I mean, it's it's not a film I enjoyed, to be honest. I probably I, I thought I'd seen it. I hadn't seen it. I've got about forty five minutes in. I think the first time I tried to watch it a few I years switched ago, switched off, and I just turned it off. Yeah. Um, yeah so. Um, you know, I'm glad I kind of got to the end, but I don't feel satisfied by the movie. I just feel a bit confused. Because right. like you say, it's deliberately ambiguous, and there are some films that I don't mind that ambiguity, but in the case of this, I don't know, it's just so random, just weird re- shit starts happening. It reminds me, I mean, on some le- I mean, to me, on some level, this, this movie kind of charts into body horror territory, and there's shades of Cronenberg. There's certainly shades of David Lynch in here. I mean, yeah. if you watch a movie like Eraserhead... There's that idea of, you know, just like this weird, what is this creature? Why is this creature here? And why is no one as mortified as I am while looking at this creature? Um, Things like Naked Lunch, the Cronenberg movie, um, all all kind of, it's all in the same kind of bucket, (laughs) really, as possession. You know, they're all all cut from the same cloth. And these movies are movies that I love, so it makes no, you know, there's no surprise to me that I really enjoy possession because, to me, it's it's doing a a lot of cinema styles and and an art house house fashion, which I've grown up and really enjoyed. So it's kind of, on some level... um, it's, it's scratching that itch for me in yeah. this movie that had they probably given that solution at the end that, you know, it was an alien or, you know, actually it was a manifestation of her grief or whatever like that, I wouldn't have been satisfied with that. I, I, I kind of like it being in this this kind of... Right, so now we have this tentacle creature that looks identical to Sam Neill who is now out there basically... Going on about the rest of his life, it's, it's weird. It's, it's a weird fucking movie. It's a weird, weird movie. Um, and I, I'll be happy that, to say that even though you didn't like the movie, I am more happy that at least you have an emotional response to this movie. Unlike some of the other nasties we've covered, where it's just like, what's the point in this movie? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think uh, in the words of Dave Z, I'm a pretty simple guy. He's <laughs> <Brilliant. laughs> And I just don't think a movie like this kind of... Was that when he was on my show? Was that when I forced him to watch... Uh... <laughs> when no, I it's, it's the little snippet thing when they introduced Dave Z on Skeleton Crew. Well, he says, that's a pretty, pretty simple I, guy. Pretty, he said the same thing when he was on my show. Uh, yeah. We did the uh, Barbarian Sim yeah. Studio and The Strange Colour of Your Body's Tears, which are both weird art houses movies as well and I was yeah. explaining something it was just like what the fuck did you make me watch I'm, you know I'm just a simple guy Duncan and I was just like I'm sorry <laughs> yeah I think, I think I'm the same you know like I, 
I like, cinema's I like there to films. cover everything, Randy. I think cinema's there to scratch everyone's itches and what it's there to um, give everyone something they can hook on to, and it's not there for one person, and rightly so, rightly so. Like we were talking about Green Inferno earlier on, I know tons of people that think it's one of the best movies that come out this year. I don't agree with them, but you know that's what cinema's there for. It's there I for just the can't understand it because I know films need to be like I know like I'm, I'm, nothing has to be realistic for me, but when it, it it it's based on the tone of the film. If the tone of the film is out there and I'm prepared for anything, then I can accept anything they throw at me. But when a film's grounded in reality and you expect that you can shove a bag of weed in a plastic bag into someone's stomach, <laughs> and, that, and that basically makes every piece of meat in that whole body some massive toxic marijuana thing, like a giant fucking marijuana cookie. Yeah. I like, thought I thought you were still talking about possession there until you mentioned the bag of weed. Sorry, I was going back on it. I'm, I'm, I'm literally seething about. Really you are so angry. I, I, <laughs> I heard you so, so angry about possession, like you said. I didn't enjoy it, um, but I, you know, I understand that you know there are people out there like these kind of films. It's just I don't know. I, I can't think of any film that's similar to that. that I do like. I know you say like Requiem for a Dream is probably the closest kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, I, I, Requiem for a Dream. But then to me, Requiem for a Dream gives me that feeling of just really I just feel really low um, just like really 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 low after it takes me a couple of days to feel better about myself so um, and I don't I don't know why I don't know why that's the thing that's the thing about the movie I, I, there's no reason at all why I should feel that way at the end of that movie because it's weird because there's no silver lining though is it to be fair I mean it's not you know there isn't anything positive you can really take from it everyone's in a right fucking mess by the end yeah it just doesn't affect me I just enjoy I've, I've it I've seen like train spotting and things like that and I don't have the same feeling at train spotting yeah but train spotting has a quite a happy uplifting ending doesn't it oh uh, yeah but I would argue that maybe some of the subject matter in train spotting is darker oh it's horrendous yeah. <laughs> I mean but you know what I mean at the end of that movie even with an uplifting ending I'm not like. I'm, you, you what, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the sequel that's coming out next year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, this is this is Danny Boyle now pushing ahead where he's he's in sequel mania. He's also announced that his intentions are right after uh, the new Train Spot movie, he will be doing the third instalment of the Twenty Eight Days Later franchise. So, okay, no, he's returning cool. to do that, which I cannot wait to see. Can't yeah. wait to see. I really like. So, I, I read Porno a couple of years ago, which is the, basically the, the yeah, 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 which is the book, and it so, just didn't read Porno, right? Well, maybe it does. I don't know. Maybe like the stories. <laughs> you are. <yeah. laughs> the thing is, I wish I hadn't read it because now I know kind of how it's going to end, and I imagine it'll there'll be quite a lot of similar stuff in the book. Yeah. Uh, have you read the book of that? Yes, I have. Yeah. Yeah, so like, uh, okay, obviously we know what happens to, to some of the characters, and I imagine you'll go a similar route, um, which is a bit of a shame. Um, but maybe it'll be something completely different and take me by surprise. I kind of hope he does. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. You never know. You never know. There's a, the thing about uh, porno is porno's set in the immediate aftermath, and there's quite a sizable amount of time past now between, you know what I mean, uh, between the movies. So I think you'll have to change certain details. Yeah, I, th- I don't know how long porno is set because obviously Begbie's out of prison in porno. Yeah, but um, I, I don't think it's as long as we have been. It won't be 20 years, nah. no. No, nah. yeah. so it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. Yeah. Andy? Yeah, let's rate this one then. Yeah, right. So to me, this 
this is really difficult for me because there is some really pretty horrific imagery and gore in this one. Um, however, the, that is it. Out with the screaming at people, you know, seeing bodies like flayed of flesh in, in a room uh, and a weird tentacle creature probably isn't enough to give it any sort of serious grading from me at all. Mm. Um, in the confines of what we've set up in this this scenario, it's a slap on the wrist from me. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same actually. Because uh, there is some weird shit. I mean, like in the subway, quite jarring when she's just going berserk for about five minutes. Yeah, it's really fucking uncomfortable. Like, really, really uncomfortable. Starts like stuff just starts I think, coming out of her fanny, like all over the floor, <laughs> and then she starts like bleeding everywhere. It's quite disturbing. Uh, for our American listeners, uh, the fanny is the female reproductive genitalia at the front. Yeah. Uh, not your arse, which the Americans call it that, and it's weird. Could have been coming out of their arse as well. We don't know. We don't know, actually. We're just guessing yeah. now. Yeah, but it's for, you know, for that kind of thing, it is just a quite a jarring film, so I'd have to give it a slap on the wrist. Yeah. Um, um, I don't think either one of us are going to say that it should have been on the list, though. No, it's a weird one why it was, even kind of considering, I mean, they obviously came to their senses and didn't decide, you know, decided not to prosecute, but yeah, it's. Uh, I can see why maybe it was flagged up as just a fuck, very fucking bizarre film, especially for 1981 when obviously all these other films since that you've talked about, but they, you know, they haven't happened yet. So this was, I'd say this is maybe one of the first films of this kind, probably. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's, I, I don't necessarily think it's maybe, I think in terms of European art house cinema, there's probably a lot out there, but I think this was the first one that kind of had a higher profile. I mean, mainstream sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. The, the actress, the main actress in this movie won Best Actress at Cannes that year for this performance, so okay. that's pretty fucking huge. Um, yeah, and I think it's probably because of the duality of the performance. Yeah. yeah. She is very good at being a psychopath, and I think that kind of shows even more when you see her then as a completely normal person, just how well she can flick between those two roles. So yeah, I can see why she kind of got recognised for that because it is quite an impressive bit of work. Um, I don't know what Heinrich was doing. No one knows what Heinrich was doing. Not even Heinrich knows what Heinrich was doing. No, I think he's probably drunk. (laughs) Right, we're going to take a very short break just now when we return. It's pranks. Um, Andy is going to be leading the charge on this movie. This one could be a lot of fun. No, you're um, leading the charge. I led the charge on the last one. Oh, that's right. I'm leading the charge. This could be even more fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, you're going to hear some promos for shows on the Horror Philia Podcasting Network, where you can exclusively listen to this show and some other incredible genre shows over on Horror Philia. Um, you're then going to hear some intellectual folks talk about this movie when we return. I'm going to kick us off. We'll be talking about pranks from 1982 coming right up after this. Well, Gary, here we are. Somehow uh, we made it through here. What? Where? Uh, we're in the sequel, of course. Sequel? What sequel? Well, Sloppy Seconds, the movie sequel podcast. Come on, get with it. Oh, that's right. Our podcast is exclusively about sequels, where the budget is well, bigger. we don't actually have a budget. Get away from her, you bitch! But the action's more exciting? Uh, I don't know much about action. Hey, you got a light? Sure, man. Allow me, scum. The babes are hotter? Wait, there's babes involved? How about some of this? So tasty and hard and firm that it just melts in your mouth. Do the kills get gorier and more extreme? Uh, kills? Did we talk about this? Uh, never mind. 
So five sloppy seconds, the movie sequel podcast, exclusively on the Horrorflia Network. Because when all other podcasts are through, we're already thinking about part two. This is Pranks, uh, 1981 slasher movie, uh, officially directed by Jeffrey Obrow, probably co-directed by Stephen Carpenter. They were around in the 80s and, and made a trickle of other slightly more mainstream horror pictures. The Power was one, The Kindred, uh, and more recently Legend of the Mummy. This is one of those things that's completely mystifying why this, of all slasher movies, ended on the the video nasties list. Looking at the box, I suspect it was this image here because um, there was a feeling that imitable violence was bad. So the baseball bat with the spikes in, which is the main murder weapon, may well have been thought to be the kind of thing that football hooligans could use if they found out what a baseball bat was. Um, the film itself is very mild as slasher pictures go. Kids love to play tricks. Certain tricks are called pranks. P. R. A. N. What's wrong? The phone's dead. K. Oh, great. Yes. You've got to trust me. Pranks is this year's most terrifying motion picture. And welcome back. So, we're going to be discussing Pranks, a.k.a. The Dorm That Dripped Blood, from 1982. This movie was written and directed by Stephen Carpenter and Jeffrey Obro. Um, and according to IMDb, uh, this one actually has a surprisingly high score on IMDb, uh, Joanne, Patty, Brian and Craig prepare the old dorm building to be torn down. They are pursued by a serial ki- killer with a wide range of murder methods, ranging from power drills to industrial steam cookers. Is it that weird, spooky guy, John Hermit, killing off uh, the uh, incidental characters, or is it something, someone, even more terrifying? I didn't hate this movie. I'm just putting that out there. You might think I'm mad for saying this. Yeah. I didn't hate this movie. Um, It's just not a great movie. No. There was a couple of things I saw in it where I was like, that's actually a really interesting concept. I, you know, I really like the idea of, I, I really like the idea of a murderer using different methods each time, like a serial killer going out his way. Like, there's a, it's like one of the reasons, I, you know, I quite like Jallos so much is Jall, like Jallos, like the original Jallos. It was all very much people died with an open blade razor. Yeah. But as time went on, the murder methods for killers started to grow. By the time you get to something like trauma, Argento's trauma, the guy's got a weird pulley system noose garrote thing that decapitates okay. people and it's like th- this is a guy who has started off doing very conventional things and over time adapted it that when killers start using different weapons in movies I'm like oh this is because you're not getting the same kill over and over and over again you're yeah, getting yeah, yeah. different styles I think where this movie suffers and unfortunately suffers quite badly is that it it's made on next to no money and it's made by people who weren't proper filmmakers. Okay. Right, this movie here um, is is made by people that I, I think it's when they just come out of uni. Yeah. So this is like a we're going to make a movie ourselves sort of thing. Okay. Um, and 
I think it kind of suffers from that. I, but then I kind of think to myself, if I decided tomorrow I wanted to make a movie, I don't know if things would be as cohesive as pranks. You know <laughs> what I mean? I, I, I think it would be better shot. Yeah. <laughs> because technology's better. Um, yeah. But I don't know if it'd be more... That, I mean, there is a, a cohesive story that runs through it. The effects aren't all that great. The acting is pretty poor. Um, yeah. But... I like the idea of the story. The story itself is really good, and if this, it's like to me, this is a movie that is crying out to be remade. You know what I mean? See when people look at certain movies and they're like, "I, you know, we're going to remake Halloween," and I'm like, "Why remake Halloween? It's yeah, it's as good as it's ever going to get." John Carpenter, you know, pretty much invented the genre with that movie. Yeah. What are you going to do that's going to better that? You know, it's, it's, to me, when people are talking about remaking movies, these are the movies they should be remaking. The ones that have actually a quite interesting story, but the execution just lets it down. And, yeah. and a filmmaker's hands today could be done a lot better. So I didn't, I didn't hate it, right? But I, I can't say I liked it either. I think it's somewhere in between. I, I, there was, it interested me, um, and that's so much of a cop out, I know, but. I, I, I like the more I read into it, the more I was like, I can't, I can't just like. We've seen some movies on this list made by proper filmmakers with budgets that yeah. have been awful, and these guys are trying to get in the door in the industry by making something that's all self-contained, it's all made by these students and all the rest, yeah. and they're trying to do it. And from that point of view, I can't hate it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's for me, it was just. Just another one of them generic 80s slasher films, yeah. which maybe in its day wouldn't have been too bad, but we're so far at the end, towards the end of the list now, we've seen so many of God, these. God, how many have we seen? <laughs> just generic slashes, like, I just can't get excited about them anymore. I mean, the only thing that I kind of liked about this was about the last 20 minutes, because mm-hmm. it kind of gave me that feeling of when they, you know, like in Friday the 13th at the end, when they discover that Jason's been killing everyone and it goes on that kind of chase where they're discovering the bodies and like he's, he's chasing them around and they just get away and all that kind of, it kind of had that vibe to it um, and that bit I kind of appreciated and then there's obviously like the little twist isn't there where, you know, it's uh, it's not the guy that you think it is and it's somebody else and that was pretty cool. Uh, did you, did you did you clock who the killer was earlier than that though? I don't think so, no. Did you not? Right. I, I think I think I, I think I picked up on it like maybe about ten minutes before, and I don't know why. I think it was something like in his expression. I was like, "You're just a wee bit weird now." Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I appreciate the fact that they used a lot of different implements to kill people. I think the reason this was flagged up by the BBFC was because the front cover in the UK is like a baseball bat with nails through it, mm-hmm. which is obviously quite a nasty weapon. Oh yes. <laughs> um. So yeah, that's that's probably what, what brought it to the attention of the censors, and then they've obviously watched it and thought it's 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 really not that bad, and you know it isn't. It really isn't that bad. Um, yeah, it's just a bit slow and a bit ploddy. I'm really waiting for somebody to do a film, and like, the closest thing for me, like the, the closest movie that's come to kind of being a, a really good sort of 80s slasher but set to, sort of today was the remake of the house that uh, the town that drained sundown. Yeah, I didn't like that film because I hated the way it ended. But like the setups for the kills and the brutality of, of you know like when the girl jumps out the window and her ankle snaps and it's and you know that was a really good practical effect and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I really want something like that. I mean, for me, something like My Bloody Valentine remake 
was quite good. As surprisingly, it, it's not a, yeah. As surpri- that movie sometimes ends up on a lot of people's shit lists, and I actually quite like. It. I kind of think, well, what do you want? It starts off really strong. You get a really OTT but quite satisfying like hospital massacre that you don't get to see, and I like that. I like the fact that you don't get to see. It. I like the fact that you just get to see the aftermath. And it, I mean, it's ridiculous. <clears throat> There's literally bodies in pieces strewn all over the place, but it kind of sets it up for me. That kind of made me go, yeah, like that's that 80s kind of really OTT yeah. kind of thing. And, and then I think you've got pretty good suspense in that film. You've got pretty good kills. You've got quite a, a sinister um, killer, you know, you know, in the miners, you know, the miners kit and all that. You've got a nice little twist at the end. You've got kind of good, like the, the acting's pretty good in it. It's shot well. So, so for me, like, I, just, I just want to see something else like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, unfortunately, is just the equivalent of just watching like another generic slasher that's been made today. It's just, it's not, there's just something missing from it. There's just something not, not quite right. And I think with a lot of these kind of films that we watch, it's very rare that out of all the 72 that we're, we're going to go through that one really pops out and I go, oh, God, I can't believe I haven't seen that. You know, like uh, you had uh, Dead and Buried. Yes, yeah, you yeah. know, like a you know, thirty-year-old film that you haven't seen. You go, oh my god, like that film's been. Oh, you know, I can't believe I've not didn't see. You know, I've never seen that before. There's not really anything on the list, is there, that, that I've come across. You know, that that, that I've had has had that effect on yeah. me. So it's like, if it's a good one, I will have watched it because I would have heard about it and I would have heard people talking about it. And this is just another one of those ones that I've heard about, but I've never really heard anything that good about it. So I've never watched it, and now I've watched it. I kind of think, yeah, that's why I've never bothered. I, I don't feel like I missed out. On yeah, it, so. I think I think there's there's been moments where you've been like, actually, you know, like when we watched. I think right at the very start when we watched Absurd, and both of us was like, this is a slasher movie we've never seen before, that both of us actually kind of really dig. Yeah, um, I really had the Halloween vibe of it. It was yeah, great. it was like total. It felt like it felt like watching Halloween. We were just like, this is, and I think the. I know we're going to cover a lot of this on our final episode, but I think I was kind of expecting a lot more slashers like that because th- there is a huge pit in, in my knowledge of slasher movies just because in America, especially the l- very late 70s, very early 80s, there were so many of them made that just never made it over here, like at all. Yeah. That, and it's one of the reasons I, I dig Johnny Krug's show so much because Krug seems to be able to come away with movies I've never heard of before he talks about them and I'm like I need to see this movie well, this that's sounds... it. the thing is that Johnny Krug makes them sound brilliant even though they're probably not <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's, he's got he's got he's got the gift of the gab yeah. Um, but yeah he talks about like slasher movies I've never seen before so there is a huge gap in my knowledge there and there are so many slashers on the list obviously because of the time period Yeah. and there haven't been many that I've seen yet that have been like this is the slasher movie that I wish I'd always seen. You know, yeah. that I never knew about. And there's been there have been movies out with that. Dead and Buried's a great example of a zombie movie, which I think is very clever. Nightmares and a Damaged Brain is kind of a slasher movie that's a bit different that I thought was quite interesting. Um, yeah. But I'm like you. I don't think there's been anything really that has wowed me to the point where I'm like, this, you know, this going through all these movies has highlighted how inept my knowledge of certain horror genres were. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I know what you mean. It's kind of middle of the road. It's not slightly less than middle of the road slasher. A cool premise, just terrible execution. Terrible yeah. execution. Um, it, really? Yeah, uh, I'm go- I'm gonna have to say as well that it's a it's a case dismissed from me. You so, think? Yeah, I'd I'd like even the gore. 
I, is there is there one particular kill that you would think merits it beyond um, beyond slapping the uh, up to slapping the wrists? Yeah, probably not. To be honest, that's that was what I was thinking about. I was thinking, yeah, there's there's a lot of it. But in terms of kills we've seen in other movies, it's quite tame in comparison. And it's not that the premise of the kill is not tame, it's just the execution of the kill is tame. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not disturbing in any way, is it? It's not particularly gory. I mean, like I say, the, the kills are quite inventive. And, like, executing well, some of the stuff could have been really horrendous, but it's not, is it? So, yeah, I think I'm probably going to have to agree with you in case dismissed. I mean... And it was, in a way, dismissed, wasn't it? You know, they, they did try and prosecute it and they went, no, yeah, not for this one. We'll, uh, no, we won't bother. I just kind yeah. of looked at the guy and went, did you watch this movie? Um... He's gone, no, I just looked at the front cover, mate. And like, You're an idiot. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yeah, so, and neither one of us are saying it should be on the list then. No, definitely no. not. This is, uh, I mean, if you're really into your 80s slashes, maybe give it a watch, but... Don't don't go into it thinking you're going to see anything different or special or you know it's it's just one of the mill slasher from the eighties and it's not it's not that good. Yeah, right. Uh, we're going to go on and talk about our last movie now. I don't know about you, Andy. We have not talked about cannibal movies enough on this show yet. <laughs> yeah, and I thought we'd done with them because we're now at P. Uh, <laughs> apparently not. Oh, apparently they'll try and swing that in anywhere. Uh, so yeah, we're going to take a short break. We're going to return with our final movie review of episode number 21. We'll be talking about The Prisoner of the Cannibal God from 1978. You're going to hear some uh, promos from Horror Failure. <laughs> You're going to hear some learned, educated folks telling you about this movie. And then Andy will return and he's going to be full of enthusiasm about this cannibal movie, I hope. Uh, I am actually. I've got, I've got quite a bit to say about this one. Yeah, hopefully one that doesn't involve pig fucking. Um, I'll be in there. I'll be in there. There you go. That's what the pig said. Um, we're taking a break. <laughs> we'll be right back. The pig didn't even notice, mate. <laughs> the pig didn't even notice. Just continued eating whatever is eating. Um, we're going to be right back right after this. There are many mysteries in this world. And whether you believe or not believe, we gather to explore the strange and unexplained, where the paranormal is normal and nothing tastes like chicken. We are Mysterious Boom! Exclusively on the Horophilia Network of Podcasts. Prisoner of the Cannibal God, or here, Prisoner of the Cannibal God. I think in America it was Slave of the Cannibal God, and in Italy, Mountain of the Cannibal God. In their language, Rarami means Mountain of the Cannibal God. All of which was the same movie directed by Sergio Martino. Now, it's interesting, by the time Martino made this movie, which was 78, central features of what we know as that short-lived but controversial cycle, the Italian cannibal film, were well established. So we're thinking of uh, elements like panoramic viewpoints of this hostile third world environment. An ill-fated expedition by colonial explorers that often reveal moral or morally ambiguous motives, scenes of real-life animal slaughter, 
a variety of homemade booby traps used to repel colonial invaders, and a distinction of friendly and barbaric tribes. All of these features were well established, and I think Martino certainly draws on them in Prisoner of the Cannibal God. I don't know if Henry's still alive, but until I'm certain that he's dead, I'll keep on looking for him, even if I have to do it alone. I think the only person who could help you is Professor Edward Foster. This is the Marabata jungle. It's the area where they say Henry disappeared. Five miles offshore is the island of Roca. The island is covered by a very dense jungle which surrounds and protects the sacred mountain of Ra-Rami. Sacred because the natives believe that the mountain is cursed. And welcome back. So, movie number three to today's episode, Prisoner of the Cannibal God. Um, Mountain of the Cannibal God, it's also called. Uh, there's a couple of foreign names as well. This is an Italian movie from 1978, directed by Sergio Martino. I love Sergio um, Martino as well. Some famous-ish people in this. You've got Ursula Andress in this. You've got Stacey Keach, um, who's been in quite a lot of things. He's done about 200 films. That uh-huh. guy. The kind of one that I recognise him the most from is uh, Cameron from American History X, kind of the leader of the, uh, the Nazis. Mm-hmm. He's got like, the hair lip. Um, you know, cleft palate operation kind of scar. So, uh, he, yeah, he's been in loads of stuff. Um, this was released in 1981. Uh, it was added to the list in November 83, and not actually removed until May 85. So, it took a while to kind of decide on this one, and I can see why, and I am a bit confused as to why this is on this particular list, <laughs> not on the original one, because. Well, I mean, the only thing I can think really is this kind of cements it for me that the BBC they, they really don't give a shit about animals being tortured. Yeah, yeah. The the, the the BBFC, I I think. Oh, that's good to me. This this shows that people were not watching all of the movies. Yeah. You know what I mean? That this is people seeing certain clips, or you know, the fact that this has cannibal in the title instantly means it's going on the video nasties list. So this is because yeah. they've seen cannibal Holocaust. As soon as they hear the term cannibal is lumped on there straight away because... And it's weird to say, I don't know, I, I had read somewhere that there was a cut of this movie that didn't have the bestiality um, oh. and didn't have a... I think it's a torture scene or something maybe not in it. We'll How ironically, YouTube has the bestiality scene as well. Yeah, but I think, yeah, I, think, um, I think it's the American cut doesn't have the bestiality. Um, or the American version when it was released didn't have the bestiality and something else, but the European one did. So I would like to think that when this movie made its way to the UK, it was a European cut that we got, which meant the bestiality and, and all that was in it, which means that that was what the you, you know the BB the BBFC etc. were looking at. So yeah, yeah and so, Andy, you, you you have the floor, so please tell us about this movie, and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to see. How upset I was to see Martino's name against this movie because he's a director that I have a fondness for. Okay, well, uh, Susan Stevenson, played by Ursula Andres, is basically trying to find her missing anthropologist husband in the jungles of New Guinea. Um, So that's why we're there. That's kind of why we are where we are. But this follows the very similar, you know, pathway of all these kind of cannibal things, showing us 
really unnecessary, horrific animal torture just for the sake of it. And to be honest, it rivals Cannibal Holocaust, how nasty some of the stuff is in this. Um, there's a horrendous killing of like a, a really large lizard creature. Um, they basically like slash down the middle and they pull its insides out while it's still alive and crashing around and then they skin it. Um, I'm assuming it's still alive at that point as well. Really fucking unnecessary and really horrific um, kind of animal suffering there. Uh, and I know, you know, I'm sure that's kind of what they do in the jungle because that's how they kind of try to get away with it in these films if they pass it off as the well, law. That's what tribes people do. And so, yeah, that doesn't make it right, though. You know, there's certain parts of the country where women get buried up to their head in sand and stoned to death. It doesn't make it right just because it's tradition or it's, you know, culturally acceptable in that country. And for this, it is just like indulging. It's almost for me like it's just wank fodder for people that are a bit fucking like they're borderline psychopaths. Mm -hmm. You know, the only kind of people that are going to enjoy watching something like that is really not anything that's kind of entertaining. It really does make you want to look away. There's a really similar scene to in Ferox. Um, where they show a monkey really being slowly crushed to death by a boa constrictor that does take a couple of minutes. Uh, the camera doesn't kind of pan away. Uh, it really focuses in on the animal's eyes as well. Like the, you can see like the, the poor monkey's eyes. You know, I'd say for with an animal, the, mo the thing that kind of most connects it to a human is the fact that it's got eyes and you can almost see what's going on, can't you, when you look an animal in the eyes? Especially yeah. like a dog or a monkey, do you know what I mean? It's like you can... It, so that's quite disturbing. Um, again, like that kind of thing. I just, I, it doesn't need to be in the film. And I think you were telling me like the director didn't want it in the film, did he? No, no. Um, Sergio Martino d did not have these animal torture sequences in this movie at all. It was the the studio, the distributors in the studio that actually demanded that he put them in. Okay. So, which makes sense to me because when you look at <clears throat> Martino, in a lot of respects, mirrors the career of people like, um, like, uh, like Bava, to maybe less of an extent to Bava because Bava's Bava never really went that. Bava never did a cannibal movie, um, but people like Fulci or Argento, and that these are like proper like directors hones of their craft did everything did comedies spaghetti westerns did horror movies i mean martino's name was really solidified as like a like a like a powerhouse of uh, italian cinema when he started doing jallos and he his jallos came out not long after um the you know the Bird with the Crystal Plumage. He did the yeah. case of the the Scorpion's Tail, um, Torso. Your vice is a locked room, and only I have a key, which is about to be released by Arrow. Actually, it's part of the Black Cat box set along with Fulci. Okay. So, I mean, it, he did those movies. So, for me to see that guy go from making those sort of movies at the beginning of the decade, and at the end of the decade, he has made this movie with all this horrible animal violence in it the two don't equate to me they, d they don't marry up um, and then a bit of reading you know basically he came out and said you know he did not want them in the movie and they were put in against his will so which it's shitty for him but then I, I kind of think to myself you take the animal violence and all that out here this movie is even more boring with less to talk about yeah I'll say it evokes even less of a response when you take that out 
I mean, they do save the best for last. You know, by the time we get to the end, uh, you know, there is some pretty brutal stuff that they kind of throw at you in about the last ten minutes. And mm-hmm. um, there's like a, you know, and, and, and I'm talking about the stuff there, which is, would have made it very. This is the reason it was considered for prosecution, and this is the. These are also the same reasons that I'm kind of baffled as to why they didn't get prosecuted. You've got a masturbation scene where you actually see the finger penetrating. You've got pig fucking. Um, Torture, man having his knob chopped off, you know, all, all the kind of stuff that you'd expect um, to see in a film like this. Uh, and it's almost like it was just thrown in there towards the end, just to, mm-hmm. to you know, just, oh, I'm going to, I'll tell you what we forgot to do. We've not done enough chopping, we've not done uh, some torture, we've not done uh, any kind of pig shagging. We, let's get, let's throw it all at the audience in the last 10 minutes, and then they'll have, you know, and that's going to be the thing that you remember, isn't it, in the film? Yeah. Um, I am really confused as to how this is not on the original list. I know we're kind of skipping ahead to what I, to our grading, but I think it's I think this is the main kind of talking point about this is how can a film like this with that kind of content when you compare it to the other films that did make the list? What was it about this one that made them go, no, nah, that one's fine. The show is shagging a pig. You know, they've got someone's penis off. Eh, it's not a problem. I don't really understand understand what it was. What do you yeah. think? I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know. Um, to me, when I watched this movie, it was the first time I'd ever watched this movie. I was actually very surprised, like I said before, that Sergio Martino was a director, because as a director, I know some of his material and know some of his work. Um, yeah. I consider myself a bit of a fan, but I didn't know he'd done a cannibal movie. So okay. when I was sitting down to watch this one, <coughs> um, it, it just felt really weird. It felt off. It didn't feel like one of his movies at all. Yeah. Um, and then the animal violence started coming in and I was even more perplexed as to why I, I don't I genuinely do not know why this movie did not end up on the final list of movies for no. prosecution why this one was given an exemption yet movies like Ferox and stuff like that remain on that list I, I don't I don't understand it I I, I I, I I can't understand. There's some sequences in here that are more disturbing than Cannibal Ferox, so okay. I don't yeah. I don't understand how how this one gets a pass. It, it's it's too weird for me to even try and I I I don't even think I think we're probably close to our understanding by saying that maybe this is one of these ones that it was lumped in with the name and no one really looked at, and maybe there just wasn't enough effort to take it to court or maybe investigate it further but there is enough in this movie that more than meets the criteria to keep it on that first list that we went through and have the movie prosecuted and once again stress for anyone that has just recently started listening both myself and Andy do not agree in the videos nasties list we do not agree in this form of censorship at all so when we do our grading we put ourselves in the mindset of someone from that time period, who worked yeah. within that agency, who was trying to judge whether or not the movie met the criteria of the video nasties, and then in that account, this movie totally does, with with a fucking bullet, it does. So yeah, I don't know. It's just as it's a weird one to me. The overall legacy of this movie is how fucking boring it was. Um, yeah. A even, lot happens really at all. You know, apart from the the animal stuff that they throw in fairly near the beginning, there's a good hour or so with nothing. Yeah, it's so slow. I mean, this movie is. <coughs> uh, 
The movie's an hour and a half. It felt longer than that. Um, so, yeah. I, I, I don't really have that much to say about it. I watched it, and I just felt like... I kind of got myself in the mindset, Andy, that I wouldn't have to discuss any more animal torture on this show. Um, yeah. So then to see a movie pop up that I wasn't really aware of that had a lot of bad animal torture in it... Um, kind of confused me I, you know kind of put me on the back foot yeah. and I don't know how I feel about it I, I didn't I, I can't I can't say with good conscience that I think the movie's well shot but it's Martino and Martino was a cinematographer so that doesn't surprise me the yeah. acting's good because it's like you say it's fairly established actors there's no really bad acting it's not great acting um, the animal violence is horrific to look at so yeah <laughs> I just get yeah, down there to talk about, man. It is, it? yeah. I mean, it's, it's, they're not enjoyable films to watch. I mean, things like with Cannibal Holocaust, it, it's, a, it's a powerful film, and it's hard to say that you enjoy that film, but that film for me is a masterpiece. Yeah. It is great, and these are, I mean, it's, I can't say that this one is copying Cannibal Holocaust because I don't think it is. It's, it's not, is it? It's, it came out first, but. It just doesn't do anywhere near as good. And there's there's so many other films that they've got the horrible content, but it's lacking everything else that kind of puts it together as a really cohesive, you know, interesting piece of film. It's just there. They're just throwing horribleness at the screen just for the sake of, you know, just to be controversial. And then it's weird just going one more time back to Green Inferno. Like, we've watched now probably six or seven cannibal films. Yeah that have all got more horrific stuff than a film that was made <laughs> two years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really confusing. Like, you, Surely, you, you, if you're going to make a cannibal film, it's going to be a homage to all of these films. I'm sure you know, Eli Roth has seen all of these films that we talked about. Puts, he puts, at the very end of the movie, at the very end of Green Inferno, in the credits, he puts in the credits a brief history to Italian cannibal movies and then he lists out the movies and this movie prisoner of the cannibal gods is on that list so yes he has seen these movies he's seen all the ones yeah. we've seen andy and out with the out with the fat guy getting eviscerated in front of his mates there's literally not one scene in green inferno that's, that's worse than any of these other films that we've watched from the 70s and 80s and that's yeah. just bizarre it's like yeah. you've got to up your game mate you know, I'm going to do a homage to all these cannibal films, but it's going to be less gory, less interesting, less violent, less controversial. Like, no, no, you, you've got to up the ante, dude. Like, what are you, what are you thinking? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's weird to, like, to, to make a homage to these films that you're obviously a massive fan of, but just make it nowhere near as interesting as any of them. Like, for me, this film's better, more interesting than fucking Green Inferno, and that's saying something. <laughs> like you say, it's, it's well shot. It is well shot. And do you know what? The Green Inferno is well shot. And I'm, I'm never going to watch it again, but I imagine on Blu ray it looks great because you've mm-hmm. got that fantastic cinematography of the Green Inferno. The colours, the colours were so vibrant. I mean, the colours yeah, are the Green Inferno is, is the name, it's the jungle, isn't it? And it does yeah. look fantastic in HD. But yeah, so just back to this film, then, yeah, it's very confusing as to how this escaped the list because it's got all the stuff. You know that made Cannibal Holocaust such a vile film to watch. Nowhere near as good, but it's in there, isn't it? You know, it's bestiality, penis chopping. You know, it's, it's ticking all the boxes, and the animal violence for me is kind of the main thing because yeah. it's just not necessary. So, how do you want to grade this one? Do you want me to go first? <laughs> yeah, go first. I'm, I'm going to give this one community service. 
Yeah, I'll probably do the same. If, in fairness, I don't think it. No, it's not. Sorry, I was going to say it's not executed well enough to make it. Uh, what's the top grade? And I can't remember because we haven't done it for so long. Hard time. Hard time. It's not. It's not hard time, um, because it isn't a very coherent movie. But there's enough subject matter in there to make it community service. And the main thing for me is the animal violence. It just doesn't need to be in there, and it's. I don't think anyone really in their right mind is going to enjoy watching that. Yeah, I agree, hundred um, percent. It is a community service. Uh, agreed. I didn't think I'd be giving it much of on this side of the the nasties list, but yeah, that's, no, I think that's it's where only about the second or third time we have done, isn't it? Yeah, um, and to me, should have been on that list. No, I can't believe it's not on the on the original list. I'm uh, I'm quite baffled, but like we've said time and time again, it is confusing as to what does and doesn't make the list. And this is just another example of what were they thinking. I yeah. really don't get it. Yep. Yeah. Manson, the Cannibal God, give it a go if you're curious, because it is, it is another one of them cannibal movies. But Andy yeah, Clark so. will watch it, you know that much. Andy Clark, Andy Clark will watch it. And his little face holding up his copy of the movie that he won. Yeah, but <laughs> I mean, it, it, it did make my day. It did make my day when I saw that. He looked so happy. He looks so happy, but yeah, I mean, fair play. He's getting, you know, Arrow releases and he's getting them for free. So uh, it's that thing, isn't I'd it? I'd be right? doing the same. I yep. would be doing the same. But I just imagine he's a sad face watching Prisoner of the Cannibal God. Yeah, yeah, Andy, send us a photo of your face when you're watching a, a lizard being ripped to pieces while it's still alive. We're going to put them so. side by side. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be our new banner. Yeah, we should, yeah. All the different faces of Andy Clark's watching all these films. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. Right, we're going to take a short break just now. When we return, we're closing out this show right after these important messages. We'll be right back after this. The Nanolaser is filmed in front of a live studio audience. Hey, Wazell, I think we should record a new ad for Banana Laser. Great idea, Dave. We should say that Banana Laser Horror Podcast is hosted by us and Alex. What? I heard my name. I think we should talk about the retrospectives. They've been a pretty big hit. Fucking Friday the 13th, Saw, Halloween retrospective. Yeah, man, I've heard people listen to that Halloween retrospective every October like it's tradition. Yeah, you don't say. Well, I shouldn't be surprised. I do, too. You listen to your own podcast? Yeah, uh, our shit is that damn good. Yeah, man, we should also say in the ad we hope to introduce horror fans to something new, whether it's a movie they haven't heard of or look at other films in a new way. Yeah, we could talk about our walking through the 80s specials we did when we covered the 80s movies. We could talk about rolling through the 70s. We could talk about you doing mushrooms. (laughs) Yeah, we can. Are you writing this down? Writing? What are you two talking about? Yeah, and the ad should say all the technical stuff, too. Like, you can find our show and its full archive on horrorphilia.com, iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube. Um, is there anything else? I don't think so. I think that's... Oh, hold on. We can talk about uh, Banana Bites, because no one else does it. It's uh, the in-between episodes. Yeah, all about horror news releases, and, of course, with our witty opinions and observations. Ugh. Yeah, shit. Perfect, man. I think that should do it. This new ad for Banana Laser is going to be awesome. Oh, that's what you guys are talking about. Can I be on it? No. Banana Laser wins every time. And welcome back. So you've been listening to Doing the Nasty Podcast, episode number 21. We looked at today, uh, we looked at Possession. We looked at Pranks and Prisoner of the Cannibal God. Um, I, I'm, 
I mean, from your point of view, there wasn't a movie you really enjoyed at all this week, was there? Not really. Yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I mean, is it, is it, I think you'd recommend Possession to anyone that really likes that kind of, you know, weirdy David Lynch sort of... Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. If you've never heard of Possession before and you like something a bit... A bit strange, a bit art house, a bit weird. You're a fan of Cronenberger Lynch, then yeah, this movie should be on your list and you should check it out for sure. The other two, I wouldn't really recommend. I wouldn't really recommend at all. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's just for the completists. Obviously, if you uh, you know if you if you have them, you want to watch all of these films and just get them watched, and it's it's really bizarre that you can get the, you know the the man, the prison of the cannibal god completely uncut on YouTube. You know, pig fucking and all, which is uh, strange. Crazy, I think. It's really, yeah. really, really strange. Um, yeah. I, what I would like to do, though, is take two minutes at the end of this show. Um, I know he's not going to hear it for ages because he's going back through the shows from scratch. However, we, um, in the last two weeks, got a new listener to the show. Um, yeah. The guy is called Chris Brim. And he's joined our Facebook page, and I've been chatting to Chris through Twitter. Thoroughly bloody nice guy, but he too did a video nasties podcast. Ah, and okay. so he finished his um, back. I think it was maybe about six months before we started ours. Okay. Um, and after doing the podcast, I believe this is a chronology. I think he did the podcast first, then he released a book. Okay. Which wow. you can. Cool actually buy <laughs> so um I, it's a fascinating podcast actually i've been going back through and listening to it um okay. going back and listening to the ones that we've already recorded to yeah. hear his take and he comes at it from a completely different perspective than what we do so okay. he actually looks at the filmmakers and people involved with the movie as yeah. opposed to looking at the movie itself so you get a lot of history on the actual filmmakers. I found it brilliant because like, when we were doing uh, the Jesus Franco movies back yeah. on the prosecuted list, his story is infinitely fascinating and Chris goes into quite a lot of detail about that. So I would thoroughly recommend that. And it, it's funny because uh, our good buddy Rob Wilson that listens to our show um, had obviously listened to that show in the past as well because Rob was forever sending in emails. I'm like, that sounds like, oh, it's the same guy. So, um, small, small world. But you can check out his show. What, sorry? What's the podcast called? The podcast is actually just called Video Nasties Podcast. Um, You can get the entire back catalogue um, on iTunes, but if you want to listen to him directly through the website, his website is videonastiespodcast.com. And you can get his book as well. I think you can buy it on Amazon, actually. Um... So yeah, it's, it's worth it's worth it's worth checking out definitely. They're yeah. short, nice short, sharp um, episodes, about twenty minutes to half an hour each, and it's each one looks at a different movie on the list, and he covers all seventy two. So um, awesome. worth checking yeah, out. Yeah, worth listening to that then. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he's uh, he was very kind. I warned him in advance not to expect much from our show. Um, <laughs> and he said after listening to the first one he's going to continue listening so oh, okay. uh, he's, he's a very kind man I, 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 yeah. I wouldn't have been as generous um, but awesome. yes yeah, so, so Andy yeah, I need to ask this question we are now but three episodes away from the end of this list and we have another three movies to discuss next time uh, what are those movies sir? ok so remember The Boogeyman oh no don't do well, it well 
Don't you, do it. You will, you will remember after you watch the next uh, movie because it's about 30 minutes of the original. And <laughs> Revenge, sorry. Revenge of the Bogeyman. Oh, good uh, Which contains apparently about half an hour's worth of footage from the original film. So look forward to that. The Slayer uh, from 1980, which I haven't seen. I'm sure I have seen that. I'm sure I have seen that. Terror Eyes, which I also haven't seen. I've never heard of that, so... No, so they sound like slasher movies to me, so we'll see. We shall see what happens. I had something just to mention, right? I was thinking about The Walking Dead the other day. Is it right that in The Walking Dead, everybody's got the zombie virus? Yes. Everybody's got the zombie virus, so even if you die of natural causes, you turn into a zombie. Yeah, yeah that's why when people were dying, you have to stab them through the head. Okay, so then why does being bitten turn you into a zombie if you've already got the virus? Um, I think... That's a good question, Andy. Really good question, isn't it? Unless there's something in the bite that accelerates your death. Why? Why would... No, why would... Yeah, but you're you're trying to insert logic into something here in a world where people come back from the dead. I've just decided that is just a massive fucking plot hole in The Walking Dead. But if you've already got the if you've already got the virus, yeah, and being bitten or scratched on the arm, what what the fuck? It doesn't matter. You've already got the virus. You have to die. So it's a load of shit. You stopped watching that a while ago, anyways. I've ruined The Walking Dead there for everyone. <laughs> I've started watching. Um... Just to list shows that you don't watch anymore, Andy. Uh, yeah. I started watching the new American Horror Story uh, Hotel. Okay, How's that? Um, we will give that a go. It's quite like Lady Gaga. I mean, oh, she's fucking brilliant in it. It's batshit crazy. I have not a fucking clue what's going on. I'm two episodes into it. Not a fucking clue what's going on. There's there's <laughs> there's, there's bits of fourteen oh eight, The Shining. There's uh, bits of Inferno in there. There's it's a weird fucking show, and they've got they're obviously covering things to do with there's a kind of a play on the H H Holmes serial killer character. Mm-hmm. Um, it's weird. It's just very very weird. The two the first two episodes have been slightly longer. They've been like just over the hour mark in length. Okay. Um, and yeah, I, I'm digging it. It's weird as shit. Um, yeah. I would say it's probably their most batshit season to date thus Ooh. far. Um, but there's there was enough in it. I couldn't stop laughing. You you probably laugh as well. And the second episode is a character from Freak Show that appears back, a recurring actor, um, oh. and he played Dandy in Freak Show. Uh, I don't know okay. if you did. You watch Freak Show at all? No. Uh, half of it, and then bailed. So right, Dandy was the killer. Dandy was the 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 guy who was like the aristocratic man boy. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, he returns, but he plays this kind of. <laughs> He plays this model, right? Uh, have you ever seen Hook? Yeah. Right, remember Rufio? No. Right, remember Rufio, Rufio, Rufio. No? No. <laughs> no, well, it looks like Rufio. See, when you see him in the show, type in Rufio to your Google thing and try not laughing. He looks like <laughs> one of the pan kids. Like, really, right. the hair and everything. I couldn't take him serious. <laughs> Could not. Yeah. Take, I was like, you're just Rufio. Fuck it, mate. We um, started watching Homeland, actually. Oh, it's so fucking good. Yeah, we did, like, season one in about three days. Oh, right, this, oh, right. I thought you meant the new season, so you're going from no, scratch. No. Oh, no. dude, what a fucking show. You're going to love that show. 
Like yeah, we're loving it so far. We just uh, we're about three episodes into season two. You know, it's great. Really the only like one it. I didn't really like, and I get sometimes weird looks for this, and it's not because I, I I say don't really. Like, I don't think it's as good as the other ones. Is season three? Okay. Season three for me is a bit of a. They do something in season three they need to to make that show survive, and I'm quite happy that they do it, but it doesn't happen until near the end. And then season four is phenomenal. In season five, the first two episodes are out, and me and the wife have watched them, and we're just like, this. It makes me anxious watching it. Really? It's that okay. sort of TV where I, I, I get anxious watching it because I, I constantly feel like something bad's going to happen. Do you um, know what's weird, right? And I don't know if this is normal. But I really wanted him to blow all them people up in the first season. That isn't right, Andy. That is that is not normal. You're right. You're an evil, evil man. The Video no, Nasties not. podcast no, they're has... All, no, they're all American Congress people, and I was like totally on board with the fucking terrorists. I wanted to... I, I was really annoyed. I thought, oh, brilliant, he's actually going to do it. Do you, I was know, really what, annoyed you, do you know what would happen in your world if that had happened? What? That that the whole country where that terrorist had come from would be wiped off the planet. Yeah, true. But it's it's, it's, it's <laughs> American. Americans done it, so it's fine. Yeah, but that, no, it doesn't matter though. It'd be it'd be like the this guy has been converted by the evils of Islam. Now his country must be wiped out. You know what I mean? Uh, I wasn't thinking that far ahead. I just wanted to see. Like, I wish you were too busy also. thinking about how the zombies bite people and kill them in the fucking dead. Yeah, like, this might sound like treason, but like, I wish Guy Fawkes had succeeded and blew up the Houses of Parliament. Oh, Scotland's I, been wishing that for years, not treason on this show, so oh, that's fine. Then. No, awesome. no, no, that's <laughs> you're, in good, you're in good company here. Yeah, okay, no, that's fine. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so, yeah, we're just into season two, and uh, yeah, we're thinking that's really great. I started Mad Max Marathon yesterday, we watched oh. the first one, mm-hmm. and uh I think I messaged you, didn't I? Basically, because I'm really into it. Uh, I've got like 7.1 speakers at home, so I'm really into watching stuff on my surround sound. And uh, obviously with Blu-ray, you get the DTS Master Audios or the True HD uh, transfers, which is basically uncompressed audio uh, uh-huh. because the size of the Blu-ray is so large they can look forward to have uncompressed, basically sort of theatre, you know, cinema quality sound. And really, not that it makes that much difference because um, the first Mad Max film is only filmed in stereo anyway, so you're not really getting any surround sound. But you only get the DTS Master Audio on the American dubbed version. And it's really fucking bizarre because I was, like, as we were watching the film, we were flicking between the, the dubbed version and the Australian version, and it doesn't sound any different. Why did they have to dub it? Like, is it not the dub, the dub Max, I think, is it not? They dub everyone. Is it everyone? I thought it was just Max. No, no, it's everybody. All right. Every character in there has got an American version of themselves, like speaking over it. And do you know what? It's not bad dubbing, actually. It's pretty good. Even Max is is good. It doesn't. I don't know if I've ever seen the dub version. I think I've only ever seen the original version. Yeah, it's on the Blu-ray now because it it defaults to the dub version. So, like, if you just press play, you'd be in the dub version, like automatically. That's that's the one that it defaults to. So. I don't. I think it might even take you a while to notice because it, the lip sync is pretty good and they're quite good at emoting. It's not like one of them Japanese movies like Itchy the Killer where they're absolutely like the dubbing's fucking awful and, yeah. and there's no like uh, there's no feeling behind their voice. They can't emote any kind of emotion. The dubbing's actually pretty good. I just think it really is unnecessary because the Australian accent isn't that difficult to to understand. It's not like it's not like for instance like Newcastle. 
where the, you know, or even Scotland, where I can imagine them going, oh, what's he saying? You know, like train spotting is a dub version. Very back. racist of you, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Bearing in mind, I was in Ireland the other week, and Jesus, when I met Frostbit Boy, I didn't understand what he was saying. Yeah, that's probably one of the greatest pictures ever that has existed on the internet now. His little face. <laughs> He's just so happy. He's just so happy to be standing beside Andy Blockley and vice oh, versa. And not as happy as I was. I was, I was like, oh, brilliant. It's, I, don't, I don't know if they paid him. I know they paid his taxi and stuff. I think they like, gave him some cash for turning up. But he just sort of turns up at weddings. And he was just like dancing with all the nanas and stuff. He's a really good sport. <laughs> um so yeah, I'm watching. I'm watching Mad Max. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't. It's weird. Like, I don't, I don't want to have a go at our American listeners or anything, but like, Ex Machina is ex. Uh-huh. It's not Ex Machina. Like, I've heard about three podcasts now where they refer to it as Ex Machina. Uh, ex Machina. Right? Isn't it Ex Machina? Um, ex Machina is actually a term I think that predates the word machine. Okay. I think. I think, it's, I think it comes from Latin, I think. Right, no, it's just... So me. I think its proper pronunciation is Ex Machina. Right. But I don't think you're wrong for saying Ex Machina either. Okay. Yeah, that just made me laugh because I thought, hang on, like, is this in the English language that is just, like, a massive problem? Because Grr, Australia, Australian is really similar to English, isn't it? They just, like, they just... They, they, the way they sound their vowels is just slightly different. Isn't it? Yeah. So instead of good, it's more like good, good day instead of good day. It's not really that hard to understand. So it just made me laugh that Max was. And I actually, I said to Rachel, look, sorry about this. I said, I'm going to have to eject the disc and make sure it's not the same in Mad Max 2. Because, like, the difference between watching it in just the normal compressed Dolby compared to the, the master audio uncompressed, it, it's a massive fucking difference. Yeah. Mad Max 2 is in 5.1 surround sound. So I thought, I can't watch that in, like, dubbed. But I'd also, I really need to watch the proper HD sound. And luckily, like, it's only the first Mad Max that they do it to. The second and the third and the fourth ones are, are all fixed. Ah, oh, cool. Thank God. So, yeah, number two today. I think we're probably going to bypass number three. Um, oh, yeah, we sacrilege. Tina Turner. I know. We only watched it about six months ago. I'm not really that arsed. I'm just, I'm so excited <laughs> to watch the, uh, the new one again. Yeah, the new one again. Maybe we'll go back to number three afterwards. But I, I'm so keen to watch Fury Road, like... I think we're going to watch it in the day, in the week, so we can crank up the surround sound without pissing people off, because that film needs to be watched loud. Oh, loud as fuck, yeah. The subwoofer turned up fully, so we're shaking the plaster. <laughs> Ruining the newly newly decorated bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Falling off the wall and everything. Totally yeah. worth it. Totally worth it. Right, we are going to jump out just now. Uh, we are going to return in two short weeks. It's our third last episode the end is nigh, ladies and gentlemen, um, with another three nasty movies for your listening pleasure. Um, Mr. Blockley, my good friend, would you like to say goodbye to the listeners? Yeah, bye, listeners. Thanks for hanging in there. <laughs> yeah, we hate Green Inferno. Bye! Bye! Nasty. They were called nasties, and they were nasty. Some of the things that we've seen are so horrific. These films not only affect young people, but I believe they affect adults as well. An extravaganza of gory violence, capable of depraving and corrupting those who watched it. I have never seen the video, mister. I wouldn't. I actually don't need to see what I know is in that film.